Thank you for tuning in to the Queer Stories of Q's podcast. My name is Bushra Nikki, and I'm the co-host for the Queer Syracuse Oral History Archive Project. Today, our interviewee is Stephanie, and I'll allow them to introduce themselves. Hi, everyone. Um, my name is Stephanie Lemma Rodriguez. My pronouns are they, them, she, her, and I'm a Syracuse University alumna. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to discuss all these topics. Yes. Thank you for taking um, time out of your day. And before we begin, I just want to uh, make sure that I have your verbal consent to record this audio recording. And by, by the way, you can revoke your consent at any time. Yes, I consent. Thank you for asking. Okay, thank you. So this is cool. Um, just the, an overview of the main goal of this project is basically to highlight marginalized voices that are wrongfully spoken for or spoken over. So um, we're really glad to highlight, you know, BIPOC, queer and trans individuals who either went to SU or um, work there or are just a community member of Syracuse. So without further ado, the first question we have is, please tell me where and when you were born, if you're comfortable shipping. Yeah, um, I mean, my exact birthday, like I was born on February 2nd, 2000, the yeah. 222. Um, and I was born in Brooklyn, New York, New York City, in a neighborhood called Bay Ridge. But then when I was eight to nine years old, I moved to Sunset Park and I've been living here since then. Wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't even know that. Okay. Yeah. So when did you come to terms with your like, queer identity and if you feel comfortable sharing ways you identify with yeah um I think it's like it's definitely changed throughout the years um so sexuality wise I currently identify as queer pansexual and gender wise I currently identify as Mm -hmm. non-binary and I think for sexuality there's not like an exact like date and time moment, but I would definitely say during high school, because during high school, um, well, even before high school, I think like since elementary school, I, I, I started to notice even as young as six years old, uh, like, like I didn't really think about or question or really like internally discuss my gender, but I definitely witnessed and experienced the way that others, you know, Mm-hmm. discussed or thought of me or mm-hmm. you know like acted around me based on my gender the, the, the gender that they perceived me as which at the time you know was a girl yeah. a woman. um you know early on is like catcalling and all of that even as young as like seven years old um mm-hmm. and then when I was in high school because of that I definitely felt the pressure of like high schoolers getting into relationships and the norm that like the normal Mm -hmm. relationships were man woman heterosexual cisgender all of that 
and everybody around me just seemed to be having sex even and be getting into relationships having sex talking about you know like man women all of this how exciting it is how everybody's doing it at a young age like how about you share your experience mm-hmm. and I genuinely had no interest in boys or men um mm-hmm. However, that pressure in high school definitely did get to me. Yeah. And I started like experimenting, maybe you could say with men by Mm -hmm. either dating them. Um, Yeah. And and I do feel comfortable sharing that, you know, like I did have sex with a man in high school because Mm -hmm. of that pressure though. It wasn't any so much of like, I want to do this, or this is a good time, or I yeah. some type of way about this person, but it was just, let's see what this is about, to be honest, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I also felt like I didn't really have anybody to talk to, because, like, sex ed, especially queer, and, um, oh, yeah, was not in my high school, was also mm-hmm. not in my household, coming mm-hmm. from a Ecuadorian immigrant household, was definitely right not spoken about so yeah so so once I started experimenting and doing all of that I realized yeah this is not for me yeah (laughs) so then as early as 14 I started like I I joined a I don't know if you've heard of the app called her no okay so basically I joined that app It it was it was like a dating app um and at the time it was 2014 and that app had just been founded or created in 2013. So it was very early days, very early stages. Oh, wow. Yeah. You were on the early dating apps? The early yeah. days. Get out of here. Like right now, the app is huge. It's very well known. Oh. They have events in New York City and all of that. But it's totally changed. Was but it like gay, like for gay people? Yes. It, it, it's, oh. it's advertised as gay, lesbian, queer only. Oh, interesting. Um, like transgender, non-binary, all that oh, only. Cool. Yeah, so like that's the reason that I joined that app. And mm-hmm. then I just started experimenting with non-men on the app. Um definitely did some things that were not safe for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. <laughs> uh that I wouldn't do today. But definitely right. that app and that whole experimenting helped me come to terms with my queerness and helped me just realize that being queer or at the time I like I thought that I I I wanted to identify as a gay or lesbian so at Mm -hmm. the time I thought to myself you know like being gay or lesbian is not wrong especially coming from like a catholic household where it was definitely thought of as something that's you know what the hell all that um so that definitely helped me but I will say that I didn't tell anybody like literally nobody knew that I was doing this until I was 16 so for two years I kind of just did everything in secret and then oh, at wow. 16, I quote unquote came out to mm-hmm. my friends and my parents and my brother and all of that. So, yeah. Wow. That's a real, thank you so much for sharing that. So like, what, what was it like to grow up like queer and alongside your family and friends who were like largely where they had like cishet, like let's yeah. say. Yeah. So like, how is do you think it, there was a lot of suppression within yourself, like as you mentioned, like a, a bunch of that, or did you piece it together, like you said, when you're all in high school, or did you have like thoughts about it when you were like a small kid? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I definitely thought about it earlier. Like 
I can remember maybe 11, 12. And, you know, to be transparent, I was also have like going through some like mental health stuff at that mm-hmm. age, like depression and all of that. So to right. come into this like inner conflict of not being heterosexual and not being cis at that at that at that time was just kind of like that cherry on top for my mental health to kind of deteriorate so and I was going through other things you know personally and all of that so I actually ended up having a conversation with my brother the day before he left to France to study abroad because he was in college and I was in high school Mm -hmm. um and I told him I I, I, quote-unquote came out to him and at that time when I when I came out to him I identified as bisexual so I told him you know like bisexual and Mm -hmm. literally that same second he came out to me and he was like oh, I am too wow really yeah like, no way that's um, so special right and I just yeah like I, I love my brother um he's definitely one of the few if not only men who mm-hmm. I love and trust dearly um then yeah and then me and him actually told our parents about our sexuality on what you know America calls Thanksgiving um, uh-huh so then uh-huh. that was the whole thing and That's definitely so- definitely like the first months my parents did not accept it mm-hmm. uh it was like a whole show yeah. um and yeah I feel like for my mom there was a lot of from my perspective, at least, it, it, it was taken in a tone or in a manner of kind of like disgust, like, like you like women, like what it even is that? I don't know. She, she kind of just mm-hmm. took it as in what is yeah. being <laughs> like, I've right. heard of this, like, what is this? How could you ever do that? Mm-hmm. And then from my dad's perspective, especially for my brother, um, as two people who identify as men, it was in, in the Latino community. It's like machismo, and it was kind of a like, right. I failed you as a father to my son because you're not this extremely masculine man who's mm-hmm. abiding by the patriarchal norms and all of that. Mm-hmm. So it was definitely a moment of disappointment. But currently, things are better. I will say that uh, my brother now identifies as gay, and yeah he's just he's come a long way I'm so proud of him he's just connected to his femininity and yeah it's beautiful wow thank you for sharing that I'm so glad to hear that things are better it it, it's hard to to do that at a young age and navigate that with parents especially and uh, like are, are you a child of immigrants like for example like does that also add another like barrier Mm-hmm. definitely yeah I was gonna say that's like many barriers like acting all at once but I, did you feel like you had some support like from your brother and like some not like solidarity but like having you know someone in the house who's also like queer and like queer identifying did that help you in some way for sure because the second before I told him that at the time I was bisexual I felt so like extremely alone um and, and then right. the, he he told me about his sexuality I like no longer felt alone it felt like a whole weight was just taken off of me and even yeah. before we both told our parents together um 
we had created this plan of, you know, if they kick us out, like my brother being the oldest, he was like, I have money saved up. Like, don't worry. We're going to be okay. We're going to find um, a house. We're going to find people. We're going to find support, like just in case. Cause, cause at that time you just never knew what was going to happen. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. That must be a different experience to have an older brother. And in some ways I'm kind of glad that you have him. So that's really cool. Um, I kind of going to switch some gears here to now more of like your connection in Syracuse. And um, so like, how, how are you affiliated with Syracuse, like, or Syracuse University if it, in any ways? Yeah, um, I'm an alum now. So I just graduated oh, May of 2022. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm happy to be free. Yeah. So how was how was your role in Syracuse? Like describe like being a student, were you also working or were you taking on other roles besides student? Yes. Um, I definitely think I had many different roles depending on the on the space and the time period. Because pre-COVID, I definitely had I had multiple jobs, whatever I could work in. I, I was doing, I, I had like two, three jobs. And then I was also doing classes and all of that because during my first semester, I actually had to pay out of pocket um, for tuition. So I was trying to do that. Then COVID hit my, the, the end of my sophomore year. So then because of that, I stopped working. And then I also like, yeah, I just came here to New York city because of some personal problems. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I feel like, like I said, my role just shifted in different spaces. Because in some spaces, I feel like I had the role of like resisting to what was happening on campus, right. to resisting to what was being spoken about in a classroom. Um, in other spaces, I feel like I was more of a of a listener because maybe mm-hmm. I didn't feel fully equipped to participate in a dialogue or to take up as much space. Um, as a non-black person of color especially mm-hmm. or yeah as somebody yeah it's just depending on the space as somebody who doesn't have like a disability also so just depending on the space sometimes I step back sometimes I stepped up it really just depended but overall I feel like I definitely played a role of resisting to what Syracuse University is advertised to be yeah absolutely like, which I don't one thousand percent yeah so when did you sort of like feel, you know, this, like, were you always on campus and like hyper aware about the colonial and like imperial structures that the university upholds or like, like did being queer, like play a role in like your, um, I don't know, I guess like thoughts like, like against the university and like in your resisting, like did your queerness play a role and like were other queer people around you resisting with you? Mm, yeah. I mean, yes, I did feel like I was aware because I went to, like, I was born and raised in New York City. I went to school here in New York City. Um, and during my high school years, I started getting more involved in organizations, particularly based for, like, New York City school segregation. Mm-hmm. So that introduction to those conversations and to those spaces really, you know, just got yeah. me used to like the terminology and the ideologies of 
classism, elitism, capitalism, all of these systems of oppression that Syracuse University, um, from my perspective, embodies. So, so definitely stepping into that space, I kind of, in a way, knew what I was signing up for. Um, so I knew that I wasn't going to just go in there and be like, I don't know, just moving subconsciously or moving complacently because, yeah, that that just wasn't me. Um, and then especially during like Not Again SU, mm-hmm. definitely being in those spaces, but also in classrooms with folks who who looked like me, who also identified as queer because I was taking some queer like in gender and sexuality classes at that time. So definitely having community in in classrooms was definitely really important um to show up as I am but also to have again those dialogues and yeah like those classrooms were especially important during those times because in some other classrooms I was the only person of color Um, right in those classrooms I wasn't the only person who identified a certain way Mm -hmm. yeah it's wild how this university you will really be the only person of color in multiple classes and they just go about it as if that's a normal occurrence you know mm-hmm. and when certain things come up they'll just like turn to you and like awkwardly like stare like this is like the role of being a POC at, a, at like a PWI and it's just so I don't know what the word is for it but it's just like a it's a, a fever dream <laughs> like it's just so weird Mm-hmm. so yeah definitely even with not again SU like and for our listeners who don't know like what not again SU is it's like a a protest movement that started in November 2019 basically a group of black students um fighting um institutional racism at Syracuse University and also holding accountable the admin of the university who is obviously being complacent and um mm-hmm. playing an active role in <laughs> in um, the violence and the, you know, sweeping of under the rug of the many racist incidents that take place like every single day um, with the assistance of the, you know, campus police and all these things, mm-hmm. you know, all these arms are like helping them. Um, so all these things are good to keep in mind, but it's a lot of weight to carry, you know? So how much weight can we can we carry is sometimes the question, you know? Exactly. Um, but how have you dealt with intersectional oppression here at SU? Like, you know, with your like race, gender, um, sexual orientation, etc. Like, do you want to dive into that? And also, feel free to say no. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I was also a sociology major, so I think that that also helped in finding people who were also going to th- through these things because I took classes on basically all of those like right their sexuality um yeah right all I love being a sociology major I took all of those yeah um so definitely finding community was definitely a huge one especially the class that I know you've taken to with Easton in Jersey um so yeah. 230 I'm sorry yeah. wild but I think yes. it's 30, but I know it's Easton in Jersey. Um, so those classrooms and having them as professors definitely helped me a lot because mm-hmm. I could definitely see the difference in taking a sociology course where the professor was cis, head, white. Um, and, and I could see the difference in even just the readings that they assigned, the authors. Um, I could see the difference in the way that they unpacked 
the topics, the way that they talked about like possible solutions, the way that they talked about the local community, and then going into classrooms where the teachers were not white, um, were not heterosexual, were not cis. And then just, I could literally feel the difference in the energies between what was happening in the classroom. And I felt a level of safety in the classrooms that, like in the classrooms where the students and the professors shared identities with myself, I felt safe. And for me, I've also realized that community and safety kind of go hand in hand for me um, because if I don't feel safe somewhere, I, I, I feel like I can't be my most authentic, truest self. Absolutely. And in being my most authentic, truest self, it's really like embodying and living and being honest about all those identities and how I'm coping with them, how they affect me. Um, so yeah, definitely the different types of classes, the workload and the community in these spaces are what helped me cope with that in like in Syracuse and Easton and Jersey's class was the class that I was in when like not again as she was also happening so that's why they also had a very large impact on my just entire being at that time wow that's crazy I didn't know that I yeah I also took their class um during like the election season so mm -hmm. I think the time period that you take the class in also mm -hmm. has a different effect depending on you know what's happening but yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. I also, yeah, intergroup dialogue is like the only course that really challenged my thinking of, you know, binaries of our, um, you know, our, our country and of our role in it in many different ways, in similar and different ways than I've already been thinking. So having these classes are so beneficial, but it's like so, there's so limited, you know, there's not many classes that really do this. And especially by the people that is, it should be led by, you know, actual um, black and brown community members um, who have experience in like, um, like building community, like the way Easton in Jersey, you know, set a classroom up and like, make sure everyone's needs are heard, like set community guidelines. I've never seen that done in a classroom before. And they're like, if we did that, if we set guidelines for each other and expectations for each other, then I feel like a lot of people would get more out of the experience versus like some people getting out of it and like others not. But you know, who are we, right? <laughs> like who are we to tell educators how to how to educate? So that's a different conversation. Yeah. But okay. definitely shout out to Easton and Jersey because yeah, yes. I'm always talking about them. I love them. Yes. Oh my gosh, that's so good to hear. I also work with them and like always asking about you and you know stuff like that so that's cool um so what wisdom would you like to bestow upon future generations of queer and non-queer listeners of this oral history mm. that's a heavy load man. that's a heavy load it's not even the last question but it's it's one so yeah i mean Maybe it's the Aquarius in me. I don't know. I'm just like, especially as the years pass, I feel like there's more socially created labels for everything. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, everybody has their own experience with them. And I feel like if it's helpful to some, then, hey, do it, go off. That That's for you. But for me, I feel like it's just been helpful to, not really worry about the labels not really worry about like where do I fit in where do I not fit in all the pressure of having to 
do something a certain way, look a certain way, um, and of course, to certain limitations, but just kind of moving with intention rather than expectation. Um, I think I think that's definitely something that I would say. And also just, I know it's easier said than done, but just be true, just like be the truest and most genuine person that you can be to yourself. Because yeah. of course, community, um, but also, yeah, just like this part, like even when I was just talking about in high school, like the pressure of having to do what other people want you to do or the pressure of just having to mirror a certain society like norm or expectation can really just have you living a life that others have designed for you instead of you taking back that agency or self-power to live the life that you decide and consciously choose to live and choose to walk every day. So I think that there's a lot of just general power in consciousness. I think that's a deeper conversation, but I'll just say that mm-hmm. there's, there's like a power in consciousness. So I, I feel like yeah. one of my goals in my lifetime is to definitely create more spaces to increase critical consciousness in a variety of ways. So I mm-hmm. think definitely just dive deeper into your consciousness, dive deeper into the person that you really want to be the truest self. And don't really worry too much about all these labels and all these things society sets up for you because most of them, if not all, are not made for you. So yeah. create your own. Hey. Yeah. Yeah. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like, you know, it's just wild how um, yeah, all these labels and carry categorizations. What's the word? Categorizations. Yes. Okay, no. yeah. <laughs> that that's a big word yeah so all these things I mean it's a lot to unlearn especially as a queer person of color like and taking self-accountability in these things is also a lot of work on internal work you know but with having people around you that are also like aligned with what you're trying to do also helps mm-hmm. um so yeah definitely shout out to queer community and stuff like that all these things that keep us sane yep so um like so tell me like what what is home to you and like how how do you navigate finding a home now that you're post-grad and like you're sort of kind of in between transitioning like from having a structured routine from four years to kind of developing your own like how are you navigating this yeah I mean like you said this is this is kind of a very a lot of I don't know a lot of words describe this phase of life um so I think I'm definitely building that home still um but I definitely know that a part of what home means for me is like safety community transparency um yeah because I think Mm -hmm. that and, and also home for me is also like I was just mentioning with consciousness just finding my way back to the person that I was but not so was anymore because more so in the present but like am without all of the layers that society or other people like my parents or teachers or neighbors or whoever kind of like painted onto me in a way just Mm -hmm. kind of peeling all of those layers off 
and finding my way back home is something that I'm doing right now. Um, even with like reconnecting with my indigenous roots, I feel like that's also a way of finding my self and finding my way back home. Um, and then like in a literal like physical world sense, also going back to visit Ecuador because I feel like yeah. much of myself that I may not even know yet is in Ecuador and I, and I know that yeah. I'll, I will I will feel it and I will embody that once I go and actually step back onto the land that that created me so yeah I'm still working on it yeah that's beautiful and it is hard when you when you have many um parts of you many homes to you that you may not know about or are still finding out about so that is a beautiful thing um so I'm, I'm glad that you, you have many sort of different spaces that you can consider home. And you can also make a home exactly. for yourself, wherever. Like you said, it's about the consciousness. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, so uh, among like endless like systemic oppression, obviously, um, what are some ways that you uh, cope? I know you said you touch in with your indigenous roots and like, Mm -hmm. what, what what are some other ways that you find yourself coping mm. that's also something that I'm definitely navigating and learning about um and something that like sounds so simple but isn't for me at least as you know like an immigrant like child of immigrant parents and this whole false illusion of American dream and having all of that in the household too of just asking for help Like that's right. simple, but it's it may not be to actually do that, um, especially because like in, in the past, more so for myself, I kind of just wanted to do everything for other people, but didn't do anything for myself. Like I was that person that I don't know, like I have a dollar in my pocket. If that means I'll be left with zero dollars, then I'll give you the dollar. Yeah. Um, however, now I definitely acknowledge that. I need to take care of myself in order to take care of others. Um, and yeah, and like another way that I cope with all of that is also like, like, like I was just saying, reconnecting with indigenous roots and just storytelling, witnessing, um, capturing moments that bring joy to me or bring happiness or maybe define that home define community in, in, in any other ways and then also definitely being in physical spaces with community that definitely helps me cope because it's just it can feel so lonely when I don't know like emotions of anger or rage or sadness or grief come up but definitely having others who are going through similar things or have the same feelings um especially coming from a PWI like Syracuse, where obviously, obviously it's predominantly white. So um, it's not that easy to connect to people sometimes at SU, being a person of color, queer, yeah, and queer, of all that. so now transitioning my life into New York City, I find that it's a bit more easy to find folks who relate to me because there are, there's like a large queer community here. There's a large like BIPOC community here yeah so yeah and like that. not rich too like being around you know like 
people who have money and like the classism and elitism also shapes like how you move around campus you know like it's just weird so I'm glad that you are in a different space and still finding more spaces um yes. so what are what are like some things that bring you joy you can just name a bunch of things or hobbies um I don't know about hobbies right now like I said th- this 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 phase in my life is no kind of worrying like, finding new hobbies in a way especially with COVID COVID has played yeah. such a great impact on my community who I'm around what I'm doing all of that but things that bring me joy are definitely literally being in community like, yeah doing the labor of course but even just just being just yeah. looking around at the community and you know folks helping each other out um just providing like education to other people providing like just any needs to other folks that definitely brings brings me joy for sure and then connecting with the land definitely brings me joy too mm-hmm. um yeah like I'm definitely that person that if you imagine a huge just land of grass and trees I'm that person mm-hmm. that's just laying in the middle of there <laughs> like a little kid just laying in the grass, just talking to the clouds yeah. um, and just ad- literally admiring life. I feel like something as simple as that just brings me so much joy. And I'm also that person that you will see just talking to the trees. Um, yeah. And we're just having conversations there because that makes me feel connected too. And that makes me joy. So yeah. yeah. And that is important too, you know, like taking care of and um, connecting with the land that you're on. It this is not just like something that's here, you know, like and you're just supposed to walk on it and stuff. Like no, you know. So that's but that's a whole other conversation. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for sh- for sharing that. Um, we have a few questions left, if you don't mind. <laughs> but yeah, um, I guess like what what places did you feel most accepted and who is near you? Like who, like besides um, um, family members? And I guess you can incorporate your time at SU up to now, so. Okay. So with who or in what places did I feel most accepted by? yes okay yes and who are you around like who was around you um definitely my like when I was at Syracuse um well in classrooms Easton and Jersey we already mentioned that but (laughs) other than that like in the home the like my roommates definitely my roommates they were not my blood family but I still consider them like a chosen family in a sort of way um especially because like for one of them it was just the first time that I really developed like a deep connection with somebody who is queer and is also non-binary um and also from New York City and all of that so that was definitely special to me because I just felt wholeheartedly safe and wholeheartedly being able to be myself and we were kind of just going through the process of you know unlearning and reconnecting with our inner child and this whole consciousness journey too so that definitely was important for my journey of growth and 
yeah even just yesterday I was reflecting I was like if I hadn't have met those people I don't I have no idea who I would be today at all um like not in a good way or a bad way but just I just really just don't know what the outcome would have been if it would have been in another way and then as far as like on Syracuse University campus physically I don't because like I said COVID kind of hit my sophomore year so I kind of only Mm -hmm. had year and a half to explore it so I don't know if there was a physical like office space or physical space where I felt um safe or, or around people other than just that one classroom I would definitely say um yeah. but I also wish that I would have explored uh, like other resources on campus during my time there because I, I don't think that I like I took advantage of everything um so that's so that may be one of the reasons why I can't really speak much to any specific places on campus mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that makes sense that totally makes sense um, so what are some ways that you resist like heteropatriarchy or like what people tell you? And this could be on a regular basis, you know, or like, or not. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think my entire being is just a form of resistance, uh, yeah. because I don't think I follow the norms of being obviously I'm not heterosexual um right so <laughs> obviously. That, um and then I'm not binary so I don't follow also like in gender just the gender binaries what society puts as norms in forms of like attire like what you wear what you look right. like like my head um is shaved so that's there's that um the way that I dress I just kind of wake up and do what I want to do to be completely yeah like <laughs> I may want to I don't know put on some makeup and like platforms but other days I don't like I don't want right. to do that and I just want to be yeah. comfortable and shop in the quote-unquote men's section but also why do we have to have these men's and women's sections I know. Can't just be close it's just really weird I feel like queer people have to over explain our existence but we're just being regular like you know we're we're just, we're just doing regular crazy. things that everybody else is doing, but we're just way more comfortable with ourselves right. and like true to ourselves. So it's interesting to see that. Right. And yeah. I, I really think that's the beauty of not being to one side of these binaries. It's really just about the freedom. And I say this all the time. Freedom is really just one of my love languages. Because yes. I just freedom for myself for my people for everything it's just for my people for real you know what that's a really good point because if you're not with like you know this freedom stuff like for real then you're getting left behind like like you know what I mean and I think that goes to like finding a chosen family and like finding people for you like you have to really think about your own like morals and your own values and like see who's really for that because some people are not and some people really are and the people that are will really stick beside you and show you that you know they are family and like these things are what keep queer people here you know and like so it's it's important to to like note that too so yeah okay so uh, let's see what well I guess um Anything else, like, would you like to add anything else about your overall experience in um, the queer, like, as a queer person in Syracuse, or do you have anything you want to overemphasize? 
Um, hmm. I'm just <laughs> trying to rethink like the last four years. I think I feel like COVID also just took a lot of the experience of actually being a queer person on campus for sure since my sophomore year you know COVID my junior year I spent in New York City and then my senior year I spent basically at home um so I didn't really spend much time on campus I was just definitely I mean not much to my experience but if I could contribute anything I would just want to see more spaces like physical spaces on campus with the queer community specifically BIPOC non-binary, trans, um, for folks to be able to find those chosen families. Because I was able to find mine during summer start. So that wasn't really even on campus yet, technically. Mm -hmm. But I was able to find mine during summer start. So yeah, just creating more safe spaces and also community-led spaces. So Mm student-led spaces, not so much... um, having this hierarchy or authority of you know teachers or higher-ups whatever it may be but really just giving the power to the folks who the spaces are going to be for at the end of the day yeah that's definitely a good point and in universities and in all spaces Mm -hmm. so definitely thank you for that thank you for your continuous work and community contributions and thank you for taking time out of your day to be interviewed i hope you enjoyed this yes i'm excited for this for this podcast for this archive and i'm excited let me know let me know what the next plans are i'm always here to help out or to be a part of anything okay thank you so much well you'll you'll be published soon so that's kind of like official you'll like hear (laughs) us talking on a website so okay well thank you for for your time and um i hope that everything goes well for you in your career and like non-career wise all that thank you same for you wishing the best for you and everybody working on this project Mm -hmm.